they would have pointed out their own nephew Jeremiah, who was by trade a sailor, the master of a ship, which, by an ill chance for that young man, had come to anchor at this season in Bridgewater Bay, had quitted the helm to snatch up a musket in defense of right. But Mr. Blood was not of those who argue. As I have said, he was a self-sufficient man. He closed the window, drew the curtains, and turned to the pleasant candle-lighted room and the table at which Mrs. Barlow, his housekeeper, was in the very act of spreading supper. To her, however, he spoke aloud his thought. It's out of favor I am with the vinegary virgins over the way. He had a pleasant, vibrant voice, whose metallic ring was softened and muted by the Irish accent, which in all his wanderings he had never lost. It was a voice that could woo seductively and caressingly, or command in such a way as to compel obedience. Indeed, the man's whole nature was in that voice of his. For the rest of him he was tall and spare, swarthy of tent as a gypsy, with eyes that were startlingly blue in that dark face and under those level black brows. In their glance those eyes, flanking a high-bridged intrepid nose, were of singular penetration and of a steady haughtiness that went well with his firm lips. Though dressed in black, as became his calling, yet it was with an elegance derived from the love of clothes that is peculiar to the adventurer he had been, rather than to the staid medicus he now was. His coat was of fine camlet, and it was laced with silver. There were ruffles of mechlin at his wrists, and a mechlin cravat encased his throat. His great black periwig was as sedulously curled as any at Whitehall. Seeing him thus, and perceiving his real nature, which was plain upon him, you might have been tempted to speculate how long such a man would be content to lie by in this little backwater of the world, into which chance had swept him some six months ago, how long he would continue to pursue the trade for which he had qualified himself before he had begun to live. Difficult of belief, though it may be, when you know his history, previous and subsequent, yet it is possible that, but for the trick that fate was about to play on him, he might have continued this peaceful existence, settling down completely to the life of a doctor in this Somersetshire haven. It is possible, but not probable. He was the son of an Irish medicus, by a Somersetshire lady in whose veins ran the rover blood of the Frobishers, which may account for a certain wildness that had early manifested itself in his disposition. This wildness had profoundly alarmed his father, who, for an Irishman, was of a singularly peace-loving nature. He had early resolved that the boy should follow his own honorable profession, and Peter Blood, being quick to learn and oddly greedy of knowledge, had satisfied his parent by receiving at the age of twenty the degree of Baccalaureus Medicinae at Trinity College, Dublin. His father survived that satisfaction by three months only. His mother had then been dead some years already. 
Thus Peter Blood came into an inheritance of some few hundred pounds, with which he had set out to see the world, and give, for a season, a free rein to that restless spirit by which he was imbued. A set of curious chances led him to take service with the Dutch, then at war with France, and a predilection for the sea made him elect that this service should be upon that element. He had the advantage of a commission under the famous de Reuter, and fought in the Mediterranean engagement in which that great Dutch admiral lost his life. After the peace of Nijmegen, his movements are obscure, but we know that he spent two years in a Spanish prison, though we do not know how he contrived to get there. It may be due to this that, upon his release, he took his sword to France, and saw service with the French in their warring upon the Spanish Netherlands.' 